You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in. Really excited for today's episode. I was going to ask, have you seen that show? If you don't have HBO Max or maybe you heard of it, but there's this great new docuseries on there called Wall Street. Not spelled like the movie from the 80s, but W-A-H-L Street. And it's about the inside kind of workings of Mark Wahlberg. I never realized how much of an entrepreneur that he was. I knew he had some businesses, Wahlburgers, for example. But Wall Street is basically a year in the life especially during the pandemic of Mark Wahlberg and all the businesses that he has and how he manages his time as an actor, an entrepreneur, family man, business partner, investor. It's really intriguing. And there's six episodes, and I binged watched all of them. And there's an individual on that show, one of Mark Wahlberg's business partners, named Archie Gipps, and that's who's on the show today. And Archie is the president and partner of Unrealistic Ideas, which is a full-service production company that he created alongside Mark Wahlberg and Stephen Levinson. And they focus on these premium, non-scripted documentaries, films, podcasts. And you may have seen some of their work because they produced the five-time Emmy-nominated documentary series McMillions for HBO, the IDA-nominated documentary Run This City for the Roku channel. And again, this current hit series, this doc series, Wall Street, which you have to watch. It's just definitely binge-worthy television. And Archie was behind it all, his company. He's a two-time Emmy-nominated producer and award-winning director and writer. He's created hundreds of hours of content for television and film, including some of the most successful non-scripted series ever. Particularly enjoyed the early 2000s great uh, guilty pleasure of Blind Date. That's Archie. Uh, He did the uh, film about uh, Justin Bieber one about Katy Perry. He's uh, directed and produced a couple of Academy Awards television shows. He's a native New Yorker. He attended Syracuse. Uh, He was trained at Chicago's Second City, and he received an MFA in film and dramatic writing from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. And I wanted to talk with Archie because when I saw him on this docuseries Wall Street that he produced, I just really appreciated his authenticity, his transparency, his vulnerability, those three things you hear me talk about a lot on this show. And I just really appreciated what he was going through, the inside baseball that he showed of trying to be a business owner, an investor, a business partner with Mark Wahlberg, a husband, a father, all of that. It's just, and I wanted to to get his side of it. And it was such a fun conversation. This show's unique too, because I brought on a co-host and this co-host, the other voice that you hear is my business partner, Tin Nguyen. And he is I'm producing a podcast for him. He's a host along with um, former New York Nick Ron Baker. They are the two hosts of a show that we're producing called Inside Five. And behind the scenes, I've been working with Tin and Ron. We've been practicing 
you know, kind of the art of conversations. And so I thought it would be great because Tim was such a fan of this show and of Archie. And he and I were talking about Archie before we committed to bring him on the show. And I thought it would be fun for the three of us to have a conversation, give Tim an opportunity to kind of practice um, doing interviews and having conversations. And he did outstanding. It was such a great addition to the show. So that's the third voice that you're going to hear, and I think it just turned out great. I'm excited for you to hear it. The show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank, longtime sponsor at Dose of Leadership. It's a team that definitely knows how to start and grow a business. They understand entrepreneurship. They're big fans of the show. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. They're listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth, and if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, go check them out. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review like I always ask that you do. And go check out doseofleadership.com, the brand new website. Also check out the university page where if you're looking to get members of your organization, some high performers exposed to leadership, to interact with 30 other like-minded leaders and mentors to help them teach over a six-month course what it takes to be a leader, to call out the leader or bring out the leadership that they were called to be. Go check it out. Go to dosaleadership.com slash university. Watch the video. Look at the landing page. And if you got any questions, fill out the contact form and we'll be in touch. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a supporter of the show. Now let's get on with this great conversation with Archie Gibbs, my co-host, Tim Wynn, here on Dose of Leadership. Archie Gibbs on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, Archie. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me. This Tim, is nice to see you. Yeah. And we have a co-host. Tin Win, my business partner for the up and coming Inside Five podcast, is launching in, in sometime in May. But welcome, Tin. Thanks for joining us as well. Thank you, you for too. having me. Yeah. Let me crash today. Well, Archie, I got to tell you, this is a thrill because, particularly because it's so fresh. Because I literally just watched the show last week on HBO Max, uh, Wall Street, that your production company. Congratulations on that. Very captivating, uh, very binge worthy. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, the response has been really great, and that's really what's important when you you put a show together in uh, like this. You want to let the world kind of get an inside glimpse into Mark's life, and I'm just happy that people are really responding to it. What I love about, I mean, and you're kind of a you're kind of in the early stages of reality TV. I mean, if you think about Real World came out what in the mid '90s, and then you kind of came out with that blind date, which I talk about a guilty yeah. pleasure. Me and my wife used to watch that, and then I learned that you were writing a lot of the bubbles, which was hilarious. That's his, did you do? Yeah. Were, were the only guy that did the bubbles, or did you have a whole team of you that kind of did them? There were four of us that originally wrote the, the thought bubbles, which I think to this day I think is still a most famous for that i guess um people it's just a guilty pleasure of a lot of people and um i yeah i have some crazy stories about that that could take up an entire podcast but uh i would go out in los angeles and i'd run into people and you'd spend so much time watching them you know you'd watch these (laughs) dates and the dates would last like six hours i don't think people realize that and then all of a sudden You'd get, uh, you'd go out and you, you'd see one of them, and I would think it's like a friend of mine or someone that I knew, right. and I would go to them, and it, it sort of became a, uh, it was an ongoing joke almost. But yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. Really got to learn a lot about um, 
human psychology and how, how men and women interact for sure. I can imagine. I, th- I think that would just be, uh, particularly with that kind of concept was so new and it was such a guilty pleasure, but yeah, you're right. You probably learned, I was just thinking about that, you know, of all the things that you've done and you've produced, I, I, that's what I, I love, you know, from doing this show, it's probably, I, I when I started, I, it's something completely different now and it's almost like an accountability tool. Like I feel like I feel when I read a book or having these conversations is almost educational for me. It's like, that's kind of the main reason I do it. And I, it's probably the same thing with when you're creating your stuff, right? You always walk away a different person, right? Absolutely. For sure. I mean, you're, you're really getting to the human psyche and, mm-hmm. and getting an understanding of people. And even with that show, Blind Date, the one little takeaway I got, which was kind of silly, but I noticed that when people went on dates, when they initially hugged each other before, just a nice casual hug, mm-hmm. the date went much better. Interesting. And I think a lot of it was because of the the nervousness of the people on the date and when they're actually able to touch each other and sort of have like an that real interaction, it calmed them down and they had a better date. And so I use that throughout my entire life. Even when I meet people, I'm, I'm a bit of a hugger because that really allows you to sort of uh, disarm people in a way and, and make them more comfortable. Again, not the creepy weird hug. No, I got normal you. Little hug. Yeah. 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 Well, I was, I was going to ask that. I was like, did it, I mean, I'm assuming you were single at the time. I don't know how long you've been married, but did it help you on future dates, you know, after going through all the experience. It did. It did. And I am happily married with two kids, which of course, if you watch Wall Street, yeah. you could see my two little kids appear on the show. This yeah. is their artwork, which right. all happened during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, no, I, the best part about Blind Date was that I, it was a tax write-off when I went on a date because I was doing research. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, and the other thing I was surprised to learn after you know diving into um, Wall Street and then learning more, I didn't realize that y- you and your company produced McMillions, which I fell in love with too. I watched however many months ago it was. What a great – that was a great guilty pleasure too. Very binge-worthy. Uh, congratulations on that. And you won some Emmys for Thank that you. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five, we got well, nominated for five Emmys. Um, unfortunately, the last dance also came out, which is yeah, a which was fantastic great. doc right. that stole stole, stole everything, all of yeah. our hardware. But uh, that was a great doc as well, and um, you know, we're very proud of that, and really kind of speaks to the kind of stuff that we want to do at, with the unrealistic ideas, which is um, stories and people, real life stories, real life people that are larger than life that you can see made into a movie or feature film or, or a TV series. So uh, everything we do is non-scripted, but can be parlayed into scripted in success. I love that because there's so many, as you know, and I'm, I love watching documentaries. I love watching Ken Burns. I love, you know, I love the idea too, that when you start a project and then you get going in it and you start getting in the weeds of finding that story, that things kind of crop up. When I watched McMillions, I got that sense that, that you were discovering things as you were making the the documentary probably more than other documentaries i've seen i just got this sense that you were you were finding things this treasure trove as you went down this path was is that true that's very true richard and the thing that was just of the biggest blessing in disguise is you have no control of what really happened so like right. the fbi agents that were a part of the you know trying to break that sting operation the, the criminals themselves you could not have written a, no. a better cast for that. Like the, Doug Matthews is the, eight, the the FBI agent. I mean, he's such a character in his own right. So <laughs> right. to be able to get people like that to be a part of the project that are inherently really a part of the project is 
was just the biggest win for us. And we knew like right away, uh, once we started seeing some of these folks in interview, it's like, this is, this is a home run. This is incredible. And the story itself was clearly off the charts, um, which is about the McDonald's monopoly game that ran for a decade and it was rigged by uh, a few gentlemen who some of them were associated with the mob. Some of them were not, but basically $30 million was stolen from, from McDonald's over a course of a decade. Yeah. It's just a crazy, crazy story. You know, the other thing I love about the story about McMillions and this will get to, I mean, I'm kind of geeking out about this stuff because I love this whole kind of how the sausage is made and all these type of things. Like I could really geek out on it, but I, I was really interested to find out about, uh, I think we were, Tim and I were listening to a conversation you had in December on, uh, I forget the name. What's uh, help me, Tim. What was the name of that podcast? I already forgot the name like of it. Steve Berkowitz. Steve. All oh, right. Steve Berkowitz. Yeah. Buddy of mine. And I loved the, the story that, okay, this was going to, you know, uh, Damon and, um, Affleck were going to try to make a movie out of this. Okay. And you're like, I just love the scrappiness about, well, let's make a documentary about it. You know, I love that aspect of it. What can you say? What do you say about that? Yeah. I mean, look, it's every, the, the entertainment industry is extremely competitive and you just kind of have to go after it, you know, be fearless about it in a way. And there's a lot of people that are trying to sell, tell the same story, right. there's different access points into different stories. So you just got to come be really confident and that you could tell a really great story and tell it better than other people clearly helps that Mark Wahlberg is my partner along <laughs> right. with Steven Levinson, who are two of the biggest uh, producers in Hollywood. They carry a lot of weight and it really opens up a lot of doors for us. So it's a little bit different. It's an, it's something that is an advantage for us because if there's two producers that are coming and we have one is Mark and, and Lev attached to it with, with myself, we're going to be able to open up a lot more doors as far as, um, not only trying to sell it, but also just getting to get, get in contact with these people. Because that's the key, Richard, when it comes to these documentaries, it's getting the access. So you've got to approach these people. You might read about it online or you might hear it through a friend and then you have to go out and try to uh, right. approach these people and see if they're interested in in, in having their story told. And that that's really where the producing comes in. That's really where you have to build up relationships and, and get people a comfort level uh, with with people to allow allow you to tell their story, and it really helps that Mark. Um, a lot of these folks really love Mark. They love his work, and so they feel comfortable coming to us to allow us to tell their story. Archie, help me understand how the dynamics of that works. Right, usually you buy someone's life story agreement. Right, you, you get an agreement for that. But in this situation, there really was no one individual's life story agreement. It was a big bunch of mini series within one life stories within one, right? And so they were wanting to do the screenplay. And literally, from a docu series perspective, you can go to market sooner. And so 100%. you're just beating them to market. That's really the strategy. A docu series can get to market sooner, and then they can decide then if they still want to do a movie in a screenplay, even after a docu-series already been dropped. So was that that's the strategy behind that? Yes, uh, to, to a certain part, Tim, to a certain extent. Um, really, the difference between the way that we describe it when we're talking to a subject, and they might have that ability to parlay either as a scripted project or as a documentary. We could do both because of Mark and Lev. They're, 
they do tons of scripted material. So we always could say to them, look, we want to do the documentary and the scripted. But the mm. only way for you to tell your story is to do the documentary because otherwise it's going to be rewritten and, and twisted and made, you know, based on a true story. Um, your, vo your own voice is not going to be heard. So we always encourage someone who really wants their story told and to get out there to do it as a documentary because they will appear on camera and tell the story exactly the way they want it told. It won't be an actor portraying them right. or someone else. And then in, when that happens, you know, it could, it could go a lot of different ways. That makes sense. So can we expect a screenplay and a movie from you guys then <laughs> on, uh, on McMillian? <laughs> we, we have a few things in the works that I can't discuss right now, but yeah, yeah there's, there's a couple of cool things that we have, we have planned. Fair enough. That's awesome. I'm fascinated around the kind of entrepreneurship side, which ties into the leadership side uh, again, because when I was watching Wall Street, I saw this entrepreneur, this guy that's, that's in the middle of a startup, obviously COVID happened, but I'm curious about the transition. Cause when you look at your, you know, you started out, you wanted to create and you're a creator, right? You're an artist. You want to tell stories and you did, and you've got some success and you're seeing some things. And now you decide to get to partner with Mark Wahlberg, but like, oh, yeah, why not? It makes perfect sense. I can't believe, you know, so you, you, you've got this great relationship at what point did it did it hit you? Because I've had a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and entrepreneurship can be fun and it can be sexy, and you got the ideas. It's like creating a movie, right. and at some point, something happens where you're like, "Oh crap! I got to figure out how to be a leader and do business stuff and operate, and you know, and be an operator." Right? You get. You, yeah. Tell me about yeah. that kind of transition and that kind of like <laughs> yeah. splat moment of like, "Oh crap! I got to learn how to operate this thing." That hit me like, uh, wow, like running into a brick wall. It's great. <laughs> it's great that you kind of that you you know that. Um, well, coming, I've I'm a writer, director, creator, yeah. like you said, and I my world now is filled with lawyers and business contracts and uh, hiring people, and you know you didn't I you just don't think about that. Like I didn't sign up for that. I'm, I'm happily accepting it and I'm learning as I go, but kind of like what Mark says in wall street, you know, we built up a relationship and a friendship working together and he learned to trust me and like me. And we have a very brotherly uh, relationship. I would say I got to know his family very well working on the, on wall burgers. So I know his brothers. I, I knew his mother very well, who just passed away. Uh, may she rest in peace. She was a wonderful woman, Alma. So I got to know the family a bit. I got to know Mark. And through that, you know, gained a trust. But he didn't, he didn't pick me because he's like, oh, Archie's a great CEO and a great businessman. You know, he picked me because, like, I like Archie. He's a good guy. He's, you know, he's creative. Like, let, let's do this. And it was really built off the friendship more than, like, him – thinking I was going to be this wonderful CEO. So it was really a crash course for me and just reaching out to a lot of friends, getting, getting sort of my business acumen up to speed as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But really when it all, and I was dealing with lawyers and agents, really what it all comes down to, I've learned in like the three years now that we've been around is nobody knows anything. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> Isn't you that know, true? it's That's like, so true. just, just believe in yourself. Like don't, there's reasons everyone has an agenda, good or bad. And if you really believe in something, you stick with it. 
you go for it. If you're going to make a mistake, make it your own mistake. Don't have it someone else force you to make a mistake that you don't want to get back in, you get back into. So just th- that's how I approach the business side of it. I'm never 100% right all the time. Again, going back to Wall Street, you know, the beauty of that show is Mark was like, all right, we did Wahlburgers. I want to do a show that shows the good and the bad that goes into my businesses. You know, I want to show the real ride. Like, yes, we're going to stumble here and there, but in the end, we're going to succeed because that's the way, you know, Mark thinks and that's the way I think. Uh, and most of the people I work with Mark think that way. But there's going to be plenty of stumbles and falls along the way and fails. And let's let people see that because, you know, things just aren't done perfectly wrapped up in a, you know, pretty little bow and, and, and success. Um, you know, our favorite sports movies, you know, we're talking about sports and the Lev, myself and Mark are all huge sports fans. Um, Rocky, right. That's one of the best sports movies ever. Does he win the first Rocky? No, he loses. People don't even realize that or remember that because it's such a great movie. Of course he wins a lot after that, but ultimately people really, uh, you know, I think it's very relatable for people to understand the hard work that has to go into succeeding and that success has not come right away. And so for me, I have plenty of more mistakes coming my way. Just hopefully I can minimize the mistakes and maximize the successes when they come. To what you said really resonates with me. It kind of describes what I've always learned of the hero's journey, right? Um, this underdog finds his superpower of this thing and it really catapults he or she into it. And I think a lot of scripted um, movies uh, kind of take that hero's journey. But yeah, absolutely, we've all faced that. If you don't mind me asking of the failures in your life, what was one failure that you're like, man, that was a major mess up. And I've, and this is what I've learned from it. And this is right. what I've stopped doing or started doing in my future projects because of it. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I could tell you the first thing that popped into my head, which is just, I, I collected baseball cards and comic books growing up. I actually, um, uh, paid for college buying and selling them. I passed up a hundred Michael Jordan rookies (laughs) (laughs) collecting, which at this point would be what, like, uh, I think like $50 million or something. Um, I think, I think for the real answer to that question is, um, is, is, is not believing in my own instincts. I, I, the first movie that I wrote and directed, I allowed producers to talk me out of, um, some of the casting in it, some of the, um, the story. I really was like, well, these, these guys are producers. They're way more experienced than me. It was my first movie ever directed first thing in Hollywood. And I was like, these guys must know what they're doing. I'm going to listen to everything they say. And then in the end, the, the prod, the project didn't come out as well as it should have. It wasn't as received as well as it should have. And it was because I didn't stick to my instinct of what I thought was going to make it the best thing possible. And so in many ways, that was a failure to me as far as what that project could have been to people and how it could have resonated with them. But I also learned so much from that, that moving forward, I knew that I was going to at least put up a fight. You know, you're not always yeah. going to get the wins, but when it comes to when you definitely let your voice be heard, because you'll be surprised. A lot of times people will change their minds uh, if they know that you're passionate about it. 
Sure. And with that, so, because you always still got to take feedback, right? That's how we all get better because there's always different perspectives and opinions and it's the culmination of everybody's best thoughts that make a final great product. So with that lesson of, you know what, stick to my creative juices and my creative thoughts. But I would imagine working with Lev and Mark, they obviously have strong opinions. These are, you know, alpha males. How, how has that lesson helped you integrate all the feedback that you get solicited or unsolicited to, to, but still stick to your creative, you know, your creative gut? Yeah. I mean, look, they're, they like, they're powerhouses, but I think they respect me. And especially in the non-scripted space. And a lot of times they'll be like, look, Archie, this is your, your, this is your domain. Go for it. You know, um, obviously if it doesn't turn out well, they let me hear it. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's just collaboration and it's, it's instinct of like, and, and Lev has amazing instinct. I mean, he'll watch something once and he'll go, that's the best part of it. And he's right. It's the very first time he sees it. Mark, of course, is the same way. They do a wonderful job of identifying projects for Mark to be in, to, for us to produce. And um, it's really, Tim, the battle is really more with the network or the buyer, actually, because a lot mm. of times, you know, they will see something, especially like now with like analytics and the metrics. We're trying to tell stories. I'm not worried about, hey, let's have XYZ character in there more because mm. you know, he in front of it in a test group that that character really popped. I, I don't care about that. I know I should care about that. I care more about telling a story and telling it well and having it be entertaining to the audience. And I think that character is great again coming back to mcmillions that was an incredible story told through incredible characters and i feel like as long as you you stick to the story that's most important to me and i don't i don't believe in creating materials that are going to uh or projects and, and making movies and, and tv shows that i'm trying to make people like i'm trying to make stuff that i like that I think that they will like as well. Because mm -hmm. I've been doing this now for two decades and I have a pretty good sense of what audiences like that I like as well. If that made sense, I'm not sure. Yeah, I love that. that. Perfect sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense yeah. versus some formula that the major studio mm -hmm. is trying to plug you into, right? No, it definitely resonates with me. Thank you. Yeah, that ties yeah. into, the, I love all those answers and it ties into and it feeds into, I think, you know, what led, led us to bring you on this show is because what stuck out to me when I'm watching you in Wall Street, and this is for the whole docuseries as a whole, there, there's a level of authenticity and transparency that I think sometimes I think people go into think they're going to be, but it, I don't know. It just, and again, I don't know what landed on the cutting room floor, but there's a level of authenticity. It reeked of authenticity and transparency. And I think that's what people are hungry for, to be quite honest. I know that that I am. And when I see that and when I saw the interactions of all the characters in Wall Street, and you're one of them, it just, like I said, this level of authenticity and transparency and vulnerability came out. You're very vulnerable in the show. So is Mark. And um, I think that's why I continue to watch. In fact, I know that's why I continue to watch. And I think that's a great leadership trait that a lot of people don't recognize the power of, and uh, and this speaks to the creativity side. I think when you're creating projects, you're going into it creating this authentic, transparent, and vulnerable piece piece of work, right? Yes, I mean you hit the nail right on the head for sure. Um, 
the project wall street is a very vulnerable show mark you know is vulnerable in it his partners are vulnerable in it i'm definitely vulnerable in it and you know myself aside first with mark you know it takes a lot of guts for him to to put a show out out there like this and i think people respect that about him and um there wasn't there wasn't sugarcoating going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to make a show that was interesting. There's a lot of meetings that droned on and on and on. We don't want to, you know, have all that in there, but we really wanted to give you viewers the sense of not only what it's like to live a day in Mark Wahlberg's shoes, but how he inter- interrelates with his partners and with his family. And I can only speak for myself. I could tell you that What's up there with Mark and I is a, is an authentic uh, pers- uh, look into our relationship where he loves to have like bust my chops. You know, we're big sports fans. He always is ripping me about the Jets. It's yeah. like Jets thing over here. He's a huge <laughs> Patriots fan. Yeah. I got no comebacks to that. I mean, the Jets are <laughs> right. garbage compared to the Patriots. Um, hopefully we're on the on the upswing there. But like just just in general, again, it's that brotherly playful relationship mm-hmm. of him like liking to needle me and how he sort of gets me to inspire me uh to like work harder and he, he's he's a bit of a um uh like i don't not vince lombardi i guess like tough love in a way um and and so am i to in many regards as far as how we relate with each other so i think that that vulnerability is shown and that's really what we wanted to show is how he really interacts with his with his partners and with the people around him. And he's, I'll tell you this, you know, and this is not clearly, he's a friend of mine. He's, he's, he's my partner. So it's going to sound a little bit disingenuous, I guess, but he is the most down to earth celebrity. And I've worked with a lot of celebrities throughout my you know years in, in Hollywood. And he's just uh, on another level of just being down to earth and coming up to people and, and, and just saying, Hey, I'm Mark Wahlberg. He's like, yeah, we know who you are. Like, he's just, the, <laughs> just the nicest guy. Like, Definitely salt of the earth, no pretense to him. Um, isn't these guys, you know, a guy like sunglasses and a hat and like hiding and doesn't <laughs> want to meet people. He'll like go out and shake people's hands and just a really cool dude. Um, if I didn't know him, I would be like, that's a really nice guy that happens to be a movie star, you know? Um, so I, I think that's important. I think some of that comes across. Oh, you know, I don't think even enough of it, but, but he really is like a real down to earth guy. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago, and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised 
when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. No, I get that sense. And and particularly, it was, I guess it's refreshing too. I mean, every time you turn around, I mean, I forget that producer's name just got exposed, you know, kind of known for. Oh, 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 Scott Rudin? Yeah, Scott Rudin. And you hear those stories, you know, yeah, another story where this guy, you know, behind the scenes, he just, and I just, that, that whole style of leadership or getting things done is just, just recoils me. And so it, it doesn't have to be done that way. A lot of what I saw. Go ahead. Sorry, well, you just you you just made me remind me of something. So I I before I did this when I was working at Wahlburgers, the TV show with Mark, and then before that I had a a long career as a showrunner. Showrunner mm-hmm. is basically yeah. the executive producer that oversees a, a you know um, a show a specific project and. I was on a set. Um, I won't say what, what it is specifically, but it was for a specific show. And one of my camera guys was yelling at some of the cast members and crew, like really yelling. And I took that person aside and I said, I'm the one, I'm the showrunner, right? I'm running the show. That's literally in the name. <laughs> right. I'm not yelling. Have you ever seen me yell? Have you ever seen me raise my voice to anyone? If I'm not yelling, you're not yelling. Do we understand that? And I said it in private, very calm, never raise my voice. I pride myself on treating people well, doing the best of my ability to make people heard, giving them recognition when possible. Again, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I might mess up. And that's from some things from other bosses that I had that did not do that to me. Exactly. That I worked for them and they never acknowledged the hard work I put into things. And I was like, I am not going to be that boss. I'm going to, whenever I can, like let people know, make them feel comfortable um, at work, let them know that they're needed and they're important. Um, there's a quote, I'm going to butcher it, but there's a quote by um, uh, um, Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, which is something like, you know, a good leader is, is smart enough to hire yeah. great people and then let get out of the way and let them do what you hire them to do, like that sort of thing. And I truly believe that you know, it's 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 tough to identify those people that you really could you'd trust, but you know, and and just let go. But that's so important, and allowing those people to do their thing and not step on their toes. And that went into Wall Street for sure. There were some fantastic people: Sarah Sabitsky, uh, Michael Pepin, and uh, Carolina. I, I'm going to butcher her last name, so I'm not going to say it, but. Uh, they're the three of the crew members that were fantastic showrunner, uh, director of photography, and a co-executive producer that put their blood, sweat, and tears into the show and uh, throwing their names up there just so they know that, you know, make sure that they know that they get the love. And there's tons of other people, too. I mean, there's like 25 people on the staff that I would go through every one, but from editors to producers to crew people that that make that show a success in all the shows that we do. You know, there's a lot goes into these shows that people don't know about. I love that answer, Archie, and it, and it's the reason why I, I brought you on the show. I saw that in you, you, and I don't know if you see that in yourself, but that's exactly the type of leadership that it's needed. I learned that in the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps is testosterone, type A fueled, where people think you have to be this scream in the yellow because that's the, it's not the greatest. You know, it's like I was always told: is like never lose your bearing, never yell. You know, and and you're absolutely right. And I love your kind of. Um, you think it would be common sense, and and I don't. And in particular, you're the composed force in a chaotic situation. You know the value of being a composed force 
in the middle of chaos. And all the great exactly right. Yeah. And that pays huge dividends. I see that in you. And I I really appreciate about that. Tim had a follow up question about some of the things that you said there. Yeah. I mean, aren't you what you just said? Like, so my partners and I, we literally have the motto, like lead with love. Right. I mean, because I don't remember the last time someone was yelling at me, even if I did something wrong, that it really resonated with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take that in. Like automatically, I shut down when people yell at me through my corporate career, or even growing up as a kid, right? So we are we lead with love. Like that's something we remind each other we're intentional about. So when you're talking about that, absolutely. And then from the hiring perspective, with this being a leadership podcast and all, like that's what we do. When we interview people, we interview people based on core values. You know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, like your friendship with Mark was about, hey, this guy's going to work hard. He's creative. Yeah, he might not know the business stuff, but we can learn that. We can't learn integrity. We can't learn hard work. You know, these are things that just instilled in us through our lifetime. So all that stuff resonates. But one thing that you mentioned or you, you, that I've heard about and, and it sparked based on one of your answers was um, the story that you share about how every time Mark or you call Mark, he doesn't even want to get into business until he asks you how the kids and family are. What are yes. little nuggets like that that you're like, you know what, that's really cool that Mark does that. I want to make sure that I do that with my team so that I can be a good leader. What are some of those things that you've taken from Web and Mark that you've implemented to your own day-to-day management style? That's a great, I mean, that's a great question, Tin. And a lot of it, unfortunately, has shifted because of the pandemic. You know, in our companies, you can see we're working out of our homes <laughs> still so that that office dynamic is always one that is really important um, where you're checking in with people, making sure that, you know, how is how is your weekend trying to not to jump into um, to not jump into like business, just like, you know, like you said, with what, what Mark does. And it's really hiring people. I purposely hire people that are um, much better at that than I am, to be honest with you. You know, I. I'm so grinding at all times and I'm like, I got to churn. And I still, I love my family. I, I, I want to be a, a, a great leader and be supportive of people. But sometimes I believe that, you know, people on my team, it's like, oh, Archie's really busy right now. I don't bother him. And I don't want that. I want people to come in. I want them to interact with me. So I have, I purposely hire people that are really good and really sociable and um, they could, they help me too. They help. I'm very much about, we're all in this together. Like, help, tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Tell me how to make my job better. I have, I have as little of an ego, at least I believe. I mean, people might feel because I'm sort of fixated on something that um, uh, potentially could be standoffish because I'm, I'm zoned in on something. But I really want people to interact with me. I, I love them. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a small example. It's a little – so w- before the pandemic, you know, I travel quite a bit for my job and I would take Ubers and, you know, Lyfts and all that. And every time I would take an Uber or Lyft, I would engage with someone and they would say, oh, purposely, sometimes you could go in an Uber and you say nothing, right? Just sit there and let them drive you to the airport or what have you. I would say, hey, I, I know, you know, you're driving Uber. What else do you do for a living? And I would actively engage with folks like that. And they would say, oh, I'm a, and especially in Los Angeles, I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I'm a, I'm a singer, I'm a what have you. And I would engage with them and try to just get their life story out. And in many instances, they were actors or writers or 
directors. And I would say, oh, is there something I could see of yours? And they would say, well, what do you do? And I would explain, I, I, I'm a you know, partner in a production company. If you have something, I could certainly help you. And this is the thing that shocked me. I would say I've offered, in the last few years, I want to say I offered 100 people. Here's my email. This is my personal email, not even my work email, my personal email. Email me a screenplay. Email me your, your reel if you're an actor. And if I can help you in some way, I will help you. How many people do you think out of 100 email me back? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't know. One. One? One. Oh, out of 100? One person. Out of 100 people, one person. And I think what it comes down to is the fear yeah. of failure, yeah. of sense. Yeah. Because I'm giving them the opportunity and they're like, oh my gosh, I really have this opportunity. Am I really good enough? Am I, you know, I don't want to blow it, you know, and that fear holds people back. And I, that again is something that I, I constantly, I always <laughs> repeat that back to myself because if I ever have an opportunity, if I'm with someone, if I'm, you know, meet one of my heroes or whatever, I'm going to go up to them and I'm going to say, <laughs> hey, look, yeah. this is the situation. I'd love to do a documentary about your life. I want to do this or that, you know, do it in a tasteful way. But yeah, yeah. still, it's like, go after it. You know, what's 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 the point of um, of not going after it? You know, I, I don't I don't I don't allow myself to. I want to eliminate as many what ifs as possible. Oh, I love That's that. Really what it is. You know, I think one of the I think that is the biggest fear. I know that for me, my biggest fear is to end up at the end of the road, sitting in that bed and all those regret ghosts are walking around the bed, looking at me, shaking its head. You know, I love that idea. It's like, what, what do you got? We're only here a short time and do it respectful. Don't be a jerk about it. But yeah, if you see this opportunity, do it. That's interesting that only one person, a side note on that. I used to, I, I fly a pilot for American Airlines. I used to be based in, in LA and I would like to fly. I try to fly to John Wayne all the time. Sometimes yeah. my trips wouldn't, I couldn't get back home back to Dallas or back to Wichita because John Wayne last flight was too late. So I would take an Uber up to LAX and take the red eye from LAX to Chicago or Dallas. And I did so many Uber rides up there, Lyft rides. And I would do the same thing. And I would get these, you know, this, the 45, 55 minutes from John Wayne to LAX, these stories that these people would tell. I mean, I would, a couple of times I was crying and this guy was just so passionate. You know, they were immigrants that came here and loved this country. They would just, I yeah. thought, man, if you could somehow put a camera up here and capture these stories, you know, in a, in a legal way with it, you know, they didn't know they were getting filmed, man, they were just amazing stories. It's funny. Just, I mean, sorry, we never got to do it, but we were going to do a show that was basically with Lyft called Uplifting. Yeah. And it was the stories oh, wow. of these folks, but it, we couldn't get it off the ground. Yeah. I, Sorry, Tim. Yeah. Number one, uh, you got to give us your personal email address because Richard and I will probably email you something so that now we could be two of 101. Um, <laughs> second, what you were saying there, uh, and Richard's heard me say this before, right? One of my beliefs is that the world tells us no enough. We don't need to tell ourselves no. Yeah. And so when you're talking about go out there and get it and do it, like it's, and, and on this podcast and all podcasts, we're not saying anything new here, right? We just need to make sure that we're staying at a time that someone's open to receive that. I mean, we're not saying anything that's rocket scientists here. That's no. a new discovery, but it's always about the windows of opportunity that somebody's going to want to get something. So whoever's listening to this, once it gets published, I want to just drive home what Archie's saying and what Richard's saying is, 
the world tells us no enough. We don't have to tell ourselves no. Go out there and get it. Yeah, I think you, exactly. You got and, and by the way, it doesn't mean that you don't have to learn and get better, Absolutely. right? If I with the script that I got was like, hey, this is a decent start, but you got to do this, read this book, do this, you know. And it's if you're willing to put in the work, that's, that's the second part of it, right? You got to take that risk. You got to go after it. But then you got to also put in the work. Things don't come easy. It's hard work. You see in Wall Street how much Mark grinds, oh you know. Mm-hmm. I we're all grinding like that in different capacities. Um, I'm not just I'm saying the people on that show. I'm saying in life, right? Yeah, yeah. People put effort and time into things, and and if you really concentrate your efforts, you could succeed. You just have to be smart about it, you know. And and again, it, it's it's learning. It's really learning. And like you said, Tim, it, you, you have to go after it, but you also have to continue to go after it. Yeah. Um, That's the thing that comes yeah. out on this show all the time. People ask me, what have you learned over eight years and almost 500 conversations? It's, it's the, the, the number one thing or the theme that kind of resonates through all these conversations is that it's less about the talent. It's always about the tenacity. And I can't tell you how many times people have been on the show. They said, you know, why did I succeed and this person didn't? It's because that person gave up. That person was actually smarter than me, had more money than me, had a better opportunity, but they gave up and I just kept grinding. And that comes up all the time. It's so true. I was Hal Holbrook, who's a famous Hollywood actor. Um, I maybe 10 years ago or longer, I I was, he was waiting to use the bathroom on a plane. I said, Mr. Holbrook, it's fantastic to meet you. He had just been nominated for an Academy Award for Into the Wild and you know, I congratulated him on that. And I was like, what's the secret? I, I normally don't do this. I was like, you know, how, you, you've been you know, doing this for so long. Like, what's the secret to success? He's like, I didn't leave Los Angeles. All my friends along the way left and they quit and they gave up. And I just continue to stick in there. And here I am, you know, so many years later and I, I've got my Academy Award nomination, you know? So that's the thing. It's the tenacity behind it. If you don't give up, a lot of my friends that came out, I've been out here now for a couple of decades. A lot of them have left left Los Angeles. They went back. And I'm not to say that they gave up on their dreams. There are other doing right. great things now. Some of them are happy that they switched up. But if you believe in something and you want to go after it, you got to see it all the way through. And you could always change your mind. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster for 20 years. And then one day I woke up, I went to Syracuse University. The day I graduated, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something else. <laughs> right. You could change your mind. It's okay. Yeah. Go on to the next thing, you I, know? So I think you got to listen to the nudgings, right? You got to listen to the nudgings, right? And believe it. And to Tim's point, it's like, stop telling yourself, no, be smart about it. You be respectful, yeah. be, you know, be, and do the work and, and just keep, keep grinding away and, and doing it. And it's surrounding yourself. And that's why I, I got out of watching this show too. And, and, and you're a testament to this. It's like in, you surround yourself, you know, what is that old kind of adage? You're, you're the summation of the five people you hang around the most, right? And so if you don't, if you don't, if you wonder who you are, just look at the five people you're hanging yourself around. And I sense that from you. I mean, being around, I mean, the guy is so intense. I mean, hanging around Wahlberg, that's got to make you a better person just from being, you know, because you're pushing each other, Right. And I saw you helping him. I saw you calming him, kind of calming him down. I don't know if calming the right word, but you know, when you guys are kind of stressing about the the COVID thing and you're like, we got it, buddy, we're here. You know, you're kind of, you're feeding off each other. But I think the summation that you're the, you're the, who you hang around 
can really pivot and transform your life. You know, that was a surreal moment for me because that was the first time I ever experienced Mark having any sense of doubt at all. Yeah. Entire, I mean, he's such a driven guy, always the beacon of we're going to get this. No worries. Like we're going to, we're good. We're good. You know, he's always the leader in that, the alpha male. So that was really like a surreal moment for me um, that I'm glad that, you know, we were able to, to, to have that connection. But yeah, I mean, I, it goes without saying, I mean, and also Levinson too. I mean, he's my other partner and mm-hmm. he's, he's in the show too. You see yep. him just a little bit. He's also part of municipal. Um, those guys are just always going after it. And it's like, you got, it's like running a race. You gotta, I can't look bad. I got to keep up with these guys. Now, the good news is I've always been a really hard worker, you know, not to break my arm, pat myself on the back, but I have that grind in me. And I think that's what Mark is attracted to, honestly, is people that he yeah. sees and identifies. And he's like, like you said, the five people around you, it's like you want to be around people that are like-minded to a certain degree and, 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 and will keep up with you. And I guess now though, during the pandemic, the people around most are my, my wife and my kids. So <laughs> yeah. um, another fact of being a leader, right? And I, I touch on that too in the show is like, how do you work your butt off to start a company to really match the level of intensity of Mark Wahlberg and at the same time be a great dad and a great husband. It's tough. Yeah. It's real tough, you know, um, especially when you're working at home. Not my kids are now, they're back in, you know, daycare and stuff. But when they were home during the pandemic, it was rough, you know, because you really, it's that balance, you know. And again, you're talking about leadership skills. It's not just leadership skills for oh, yeah. business, it's, it's for, yeah. for your family, right? And being there for your wife and, and kids and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are things that are going to last a lifetime for my kids. And I don't want my, my child, my, my daughter is my best, you know, my, my best check, you know, she, I'm on my phone. She's like, daddy, put your phone away. You know, <laughs> yeah. she's the one that's like keeping me grounded. And again, I'm learning from my kids, that's, like well, how to be a better dad. That's what so. kids do to you, right? They, they're great teachers in that aspect. And I think yeah. what I love about you, Archie, and saying this is I think, and you're right. It, I don't even think, I think it's, it's not fair to look at it as at a balance because I don't think it can ever really be a balance. It's about priorities. Like at this moment, this, my four-year-old needs my priority at this moment, this needs my priority and it's not my family. I think that's how you got to look at it. And it's, it's not always balanced, but I love the intensity of will about you. You're this. And I think all three of us are that way. The people, I mean, I got this intensity of will of wanting to do something of significance, but if you combine that with the humble teachable spirit, and that's, what's missing in a lot of people that to me and you and that where that Venn diagram intersects that's that's the sweet spot and I think that's what I see in you and that's what I really appreciate about you I think you know you're, you're you don't there's no egos in this cockpit when I fly planes that's what we say there's no egos in the cockpit here right we're all leaning forward hard chargers but at the same time we've got to be humble and teachable and realize that that you know if I don't be that way this thing can kill me and that's kind of how you look at life and business I think Archie, that's all so true. Yeah. Archie, is there a school of thought that you use? Because that's probably one thing that I was in most in awe of. Here's this guy that went from a creative to an entrepreneur, right? So he's learning a whole different skill set. His young kids, his wife has her own professional career. Like, so in my world, right? I run, we, we have a business portfolio that we manage, but my wife stays at home and takes care of our three young kids. And so there's, 
that dynamic, it once again goes back to what he was saying about balancing it. Do you have any, because I struggle with this myself, like recently within the last 12 months, I plugged my phone in on the charger in the bedroom from 6 to 8 p.m. so I can have two hours with my kids uninterrupted. Like, are there some rules or guidance and overarching things that you to maintain that balance? That yeah, personal habits too. Personal, ha- personal habits too. I'm curious, piggybacking of what yeah. Tin said. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's exactly, you have to, you have to set these schedules for yourself. First of all, I just, I do want to give, my wife is like a, a freak of nature. She, I, she, I'm in awe of her because she is a full, she works, she's a lawyer. She works at a, a very big movie studio. She's got a big time job. And she somehow is still masterfully on top of the kids in every possible way and makes my job. She knew when I when I took the job, you know, took started the company with Mark and Lev, it was like, I'm gonna don't worry, I got your back and I'm gonna, you know, pick up the slack. And I was like, no, I'm I'm gonna be an active parent and, and husband. And I think I have been, but she's been definitely shouldering a lot of a lot of that for me and on top of her job. So I I, I really um I'm blessed with that and, and and love her for for everything all the support she's given me. Um, but I, I guess it's, it is it's I, I have my locked in time with my kids. I will not allow one of the big things in Hollywood again is to have drinks. It's different now since in the pandemic, but you'd always have like happy hour drinks, you know, dinners. That's a big time to get to know buyers and talk about projects, and it's it's a very crucial part schmoozing, as they say, right in Hollywood. And I would say I could start going out for drinks at nine o'clock. I'm not going to meet between six and nine because I need to be home with my kids, having dinner, being with them. And it took me out of some possibilities of meeting certain people. But I think a lot of people really respected the hell out of that. And they would say, okay, I'll meet you for drinks later on Um, or what have you, you know, like a late dinner or something. So that to me was like the golden hour with my kids because again, I'm an older dad and I knew I, I, I'm from a frame of mind where it's like this, these, these years are precious. I'm not going to let them get by. Um, you know, there's that, again, that old saying, it's like no one ever was on their deathbed wishing they spent more time at the office. Right. So mm. I'm, I am adamant about making sure that I spend time teaching my kids how to ride their bikes and the weekends are a lot of times, um, so yes, that's, and, and then with the wife too, like we have our time again, we both made that conscious decision. Richard, you're exactly right. in what you said and prioritizing my wife literally said, we were like, we're not going to have as much me time, like husband and wife time. It's about the kids, about our company, you know, our jobs right now. And we will have more time together. We still have special times together. My wife and I and share great moments, but it's not like we're, we're easing off the gas in that a little bit because we know that these other areas sure. need our attention yeah. more right now. I think that's the way you got to look at it, right? I think that's the help. Yeah. I think putting that unrealistic expectation that things got to be balanced isn't the way to look at it, you know? That's our company's unrealistic ideas. So we, <laughs> we always are like, that's the thing. It's uh, when you start to think unrealistic is when you actually could change and make different things, right? Yeah. Who would have said like, you know, if we're back in the ni- 1970 and you'd say we'd be on a Zoom call, <laughs> right. you know, or on iPhones, you'd be like, what, is, what are you talking about? So you have to be able to always um, kind of think unrealistically and, and mm-hmm. things get done and you change the perception of how things can be done, you know? 
Wow, I'm looking respectful of your time. We're we're coming up on 50 minutes, and I, I, I'm so glad that you came on the show. You're exactly who I thought you were, were going to be. You said some great nuggets here. I mean, I'm thinking about the tenacity. I'm thinking about being the composed force in a chaotic situation. What is even failure? Failure is it's kind of a nonsensical Dr. Seuss word. Like, what does even failure mean? I guess giving up and giving in to the to the you know not not listening to those nudges. I mean, it's so many great things. I mean, ten. Those are some things I. I took away. What What are you thinking, Tim? What, what would you take away from this? I, I go back. I mean, I know I just repeated it, but just the balance and hearing you kind of deep dive more about, um, you know, there's different seasons that you prioritize. And right now the kids are younger. And so there's less of husband and wife time, right? But it's no more the kids and the work and that those seasons changes, you know? I mean, gosh, the once again, hearing that the whole kind of lead with love, be nice, mm-hmm. be kind concept. So when you shared that story about that runner that was screaming at people uh, and you were able to bring that runner in like, hey, this is not how we lead. Um, you know, we hear the same, once again, we hear the same stuff over and over. And it's not like we're trying to reinvent or create new things, but it's consistency, right? It's, it's the consistency. And from every, every time somebody hears a leader that who's, been there, done that, and still doing it for them to see like, Hey, these same virtues keep popping up, mm-hmm. right? That helps drive that message home for, for our listeners and people out there. Yeah. Archie, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Archie, did we say any, is there anything that you, we didn't talk about that you really wanted to say that didn't get across anything to sum this no, up? No, I mean, I think it's, I mean, again, in Hollywood, you know, people get hired because you like working with them, right? (laughs) Right. So that's the bottom line. Like, be a good person. Uh, If, you know, listen to people around you. Again, it's like, it's hard to talk about, you know, you have to think of how I put myself out in the world. I just try to be the best person I could be, be respectful of people hopefully they like me. And if they don't, what can I do? You know, exactly. Um, that's really it, you know, but just work hard and do what you can do. And again, I, I, I it's funny having kind of having this conversation with you guys. I really never really sat back and thought about a lot of these things. It just kind of, I don't know, just being around Mark and other, you know, people in my world, my wife, of course, and my, my family and my brothers, I guess all this stuff just kind of, sort of came to me, but, you know, through them, through osmosis and just, but I, I do really appreciate the time spending talking to you guys. Cause it really has made me sort of identify things that I wasn't even aware of yeah. so, that I'm doing. So it's kind of, it's always good to have these conversations. Yeah. That's why we do it. The intentionality behind it. There is some intentionality behind it. I mean, you're blessed to be surrounded by a lot of high achievers and, and, Plus, I mean, you've got the character traits. They're, they're ingrained in you. You're going to be that way regardless, whoever you're surrounded by. And uh, I really appreciate the time together. Unrealistic Ideas is the company. I'm excited to see what you guys produce. McMillions, you got to check it out. HBO Max and, of course, Wall Street, guys. You've got to watch it. Um, you'll blast through it, and you, you, won't, you won't be able to get up and not watch it. I just love it. And I'm anxious to see the more episodes come out when we, when we do that. Guys, Archie, uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much, Richard. It's great. Tin, it's great to meet you as well. And best of luck with everything, guys. And you'll email me and I'll give you my uh, my personal email and we'll, we'll get some shows oh, going. I love it. Awesome. Thanks, Archie. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. 
tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You love podcasts, the stories, the laughs, the unexpected turns. But when this episode ends, the silence starts. Not anymore. Audiobooks.com turns that silence into your next great adventure. With over 450,000 titles, from bestsellers to hidden gems, your love for listening just found its new best friend. And because you already know the joy of audio, we're giving you three free audiobooks to start your journey. Imagine your favorite podcast, now with unlimited episodes. That's audiobooks.com. Keep the story going. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today. Because for podcast lovers like you, the end of an episode is just the beginning. That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E.